0: This isn't like my testimony, like conversion experience, but uh, if you remember a couple weeks ago, uh, Dave was talking about uh, the church and why we need to be involved in the church. And he talked about the duns. If you guys remember those who are just done with church and um, there's the nuns and then there's the duns. The nuns are like, I'm a nothing. I'm. I'm not Buddhist. I'm not Muslim. I'm not Christian. I'm just none. And then there's Duns. Duns are like I'm. I was a Christian, I guess, but I'm kind of just done with church. And that seems to be a a big thing these days. Um, people say I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. Um, so I'm going to preface this a little bit. <laughs> My story, um, this isn 't to shame the church, um, but uh, I was just thinking last night it 's hard for me to to think of something that we haven 't been through that that hurts uh, that would be a viable reason to just say i'm done, you know um, hopefully this will lift you up and um, It's also, (laughs) it may make me look bad, but it's not trying to make me look bad. (laughs) So um, I lost a lot of friends over it. Um, A lot of the stuff wasn't things that I could really avoid. They were just experiences that God put me through, and I kind of was forced to process them. Um, So I'm going to give you about five experiences with the church that were reasons to make me want to leave um, one was uh, that I I first grew in this mega church setting and uh, I was invited to be paid staff you know be the full-time staff person and I just said no, nah, you know I, I like ministering the way I am doing it for free and um, there happened to be a big separation between paid and unpaid staff there. And um, I felt like the longer I was there, the more I was getting ground in the gears of this mega church. It was running more like a machine than a than a body or uh, than an organic um, living thing like the Bible talks about. Um, I eventually realized through like three or four situations that the policies were more important than the people. And um, my wife and I both were really hurt and we uh, had uh, like issues that we wanted to bring up. And and I brought them up with um, these people that I consider family and friends on staff. And it's like it it didn't want to be heard. You know, and so as much as they wanted to run their mega church like a business, it was a bad business at that, you know, because even good business or even businesses will hear uh, complaints and try to fix what's going wrong, you know. And so we went to a wedding together and um, some of my friends uh, who were pastors uh, came up and they're like, hey, like I heard a. I heard you're leaving. It's been so great, like, ministering with you, and it's so sudden. I'm, I'm so bummed, and I said, wait, I'm not leaving. <laughs> What's going on here? And um, apparently, when I had brought up some of my issues with some of the policies, um, somebody announced to the in the elders' meeting, like, hey, the Vincents are leaving, and I said... I never intended to leave. I, I just wanted to be heard, you know. But I figured, well, I guess they want us to leave. So um, so we left. Um, that was more of just getting ground in the gears, you know, of, of the way church is done, and these are our policies. And um, even some people said, well, why didn't you just try to, like, bend the policies or break them? You know, we would have recognized you as a person, and it's like, no, like you did recognize some people as people and others as not, you know? So while that was going on or before it had happened, um, I had seen a, this is my second experience, I saw this uh, camp leader um, in public um, doing something sexually inappropriate. Um, it would Clearly be sexually inappropriate. And I I called the camp like on Monday and said, hey, like it was definitely this guy. It was definitely what I saw. And like this happened. And they got like really argumentative and confrontative with me. And I was just saying, hey, like, he's living in sin. You ought to like work this out. It has nothing to do with me, I just saw it. And um so they called the mega church and like told them, hey, what's wrong with Tyson? He's he's um attacking our guy, you know, or something. And I I was just telling him that the guy was living in sin. And so, you know, I felt embarrassed, like, now I'm a, a shady character for sure, you know. Um so we moved on to another church, and um, it was a safe place. Uh, preaching was real constant, um, predictable, small atmosphere. And um, in, the, in the interim, uh, I had heard that the, the church that my wife grew up in was starting to implode. Um, the oldest pastor was caught kissing um, one of the preschool teachers, and um, that just tipped it off, and like, it, it turned into a full scale, just imploding, toxic church, and um, the senior, the former senior pastor's son, um, was also found to be embezzling money, like millions and millions of dollars, and um, they even had to f- hire a private investigator to to like find the money and all these private accounts. And so um, they're trying to do that and deciding, what, do we turn them over to the DA, or what do we do? Um, and at that time, we uh, we were hurt and embarrassed. And um, this was one of the pastors that helped marry us. And we just felt like, I felt so ashamed. Like, I didn't grow up in the church. And like, why is this happening? And um, a new pastor was hired um, for that church and invited uh, us to come serve there and kind of help rebuild the church. But I found that the new pastor was more manipulative than I've ever seen in a pastor before. Um, he was um, lifting sermons from other preachers and not giving credit to for the work that was stolen. and misusing scripture. And um, eventually, he also decided, I'm just going to shut down the church school, even though my father-in-law was saying, we could make it work with the budget. If you follow this budget, there's no reason to shut down the school. And uh, he demanded his own way. And um, it uh, it just forced that that church school to go under and Jen's mom was uh, one of the teachers there, and she was living on peanuts for years and years because the previous pastor was embezzling money, and um, and then you know then this happens where he's shutting down the school. She lost her job, um, and you could just see all the all the manipulation going on. It was a really toxic environment, and I think sometimes it's okay to be done if you say like this church, this church, you know, wherever you're at. And you're like, it's just toxic. Like, I can't be here. I have to go somewhere where, um, where it's safe to grow. I think that's, that's right. That's OK sometimes. So um, this all happened. And I was just heartbroken and angry and um, trying to work it out in my head while I'm going to seminary at Talbot. And, um, and then a whole other incident comes up that's a lot like the last one, um, where I was sending my cousin to school, and the pastor at this other church um, decides he's going to shut down the school. And so I just approach him like a, like I'm not even a believer. I'm not a member. I'm just asking you what's going on. And um, he gives me these bogus answers about how he had to shut down the school. And I didn't know f- for sure, but I was just like, wait, you could have tried this, you could have tried that. Um, there's there's got to be a reason why you're shutting down the school. And uh, eventually, like in this conversation with him, I just said, I, I don't believe you. I-, I just don't believe you. And he said, let's take this outside. <laughs> so I'm like, OK, let's go outside. <laughs> And um, he's just like shouting, like, like yelling in my face, and I'm like, "Hey, man! All I said was I don't believe you because you didn't exhaust all your options, um, whatever." So he got in his uh, minivan and like screeched out of the driveway, and I'm like, "Okay." And then that resulted in um, two or three of my family members getting laid off from that school. I wasn't even associated with the school, really. But all these things kind of collided, all these experiences. And I was really hurt and um, trying to work it out. Like, maybe I'm done, you know? Maybe I'm done just being a Christian. I'm so hurt um, by the church. And then um, one night, I was having this dream. And I was in a coffee shop. It smelled like warm roasted coffee. And um, I'm sitting across from my favorite professor my undergrad professor, and he was a Bible professor, knew the word inside and out. And um, he just looked in my face and he said, Tyson, uh, you can follow your pain or you can follow Jesus. You choose, but you can't follow both. And then um, and that was kind of it. And then it stopped. Like the dream was over. And I was like, oh, that's right. Like I can follow my pain or I can follow Jesus, but I can't follow both. And um, it was really true and loving. And I just felt the presence of this guy, you know, such a godly man that I looked up to. And I think to this day that that was sent specifically from the Lord to say, you need to follow Christ, not your pain. And in in the Bible, the church is described as uh, many different things, a building, a temple, a fruitful tree, um, Christ's bride, which is kind of funny. Um, how could you really tell Jesus, if you're done with church, how could you say, hey, I love you, Jesus, but I don't like your wife? You know? That, that just wouldn't, I don't think that would go over so well. <laughs> the body, or the, the church is also described as a body and as a family, um, And I think this helped me to figure it out, too, is like, there's no perfect family out there. Do you know perfect family? (laughs) If you do, let me know afterwards. I'd like to join it, but then it wouldn't be perfect, right? (laughs) Um, And then there was this early church father that said, uh, there's no child of God without the family of God. There's no child of God without the family of God. So if you're a, a child of God but you have no family, really? Are you, are, you of, are you really God's child if you're not part of his family? And I, I know that the, the family theme is, is probably the most dominant one in the Bible. If you, if you keep your eyes peeled for it, there's a father. There's, it says brother. It says household. It says sister. Um, throughout the whole Bible, it's talking about how we're a family, and we address each other primarily as family. And just because the church in America doesn't always do family well, um, it doesn't mean that that we can't improve on that. Um, but then there was also my own pride. It it was like, I don't want to sell out um, as a Christian just because of these hard experiences. Um, I wouldn't really be any better than that guy, the, the person we're calling a hypocrite for hurting us in the church, I wouldn't be any better than them. Um, Because in a sense, you're following that person as they walk away from God instead of following Christ, which is what, what my professor was saying in the dream. You know, you're following your pain or you're following that guy, that bad example. You're following him away from Christ rather than following Christ. So I, I just didn't want to be a hypocrite, you know? That would just make me a hypocrite, too. So if you abandon Jesus because you've been hurt, your faith is in men. It's, in, it's not in God. You're believing and following men, or you're following your pain, but not Christ. Um, I'd encourage you to, uh, to look at 1 John 2, 3, and 4, um, it says multiple times that we can't, um, we can't say we're born again if we don't love God's people. If we don't love our brother, how can we love God who's not seen if we can't even love our brother who is seen? It says. Um, and then there's, it ends the the epistle of First John, the letter. It says, um, I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, throughout the letter, he's saying you have to love. You have to love your brother, your sister in Christ. You have to love the family of God, or else you're not born again, is what it's saying. And there's another verse, um, 1 John 2, 19. It says um, they have left the body of Christ, and it shows that they are not believers. Um, just by the fact that they've left. Um, so, you know, beyond, there, there's another part in Hebrews where it just says, uh, let us not, um, let us not like fail to meet together, encourage each other, spur each other on to good deeds. Um, that's a clear like commandment. Let us do this, let us be together as family. Um, that's a clear commandment, but I hope that my experience would help you to remember um, that uh, we're following Christ. You know, we can be hurt by our family, but ultimately we still belong to our Father, and we're still a child of God, and primarily we're still following Christ. And so I think if if you ever get to that point where you say I'm done, or near done, or well done. <laughs> that um, you remember some of the things I've shared with you, and um, let it be an encouragement not to be a hypocrite and, and follow those who are not following Christ, the ones who have hurt you. All right, thanks.
1: By the way, I want to thank Mel. She's uh, doing sound tonight, and she's hiding now. But uh, she's uh, covering for us, so we really appreciate the sound. It sounds great. Uh, Before we get into the scripture reading tonight, I want to... I have a couple resources. Uh, Last week I mentioned an article about um, solar flares having an effect on radioactive isotopes and the, the whole idea that it throws off what we thought was a constant of course, we use that for carbon dating and all those sorts of things. Uh, I, I made some printouts of that article. It's up here on the front pew if you want to grab one after. I, I made about ten copies for those of you guys that like like geeking out and want to read it. But that's, uh, that's written by uh, the Stanford Report, and it's about researchers at Stanford and Purdue that were dealing with that and trying to figure out, well, how is this thing that's supposed to be a constant, and we now found out it's no longer a constant, how do we deal with that? And then uh, I'll have another article that I'll be referencing tonight, and that uh, is about two Nobel Peace Prize, or three Nobel Peace Prize winners in chemistry, and that'll be up there too. So uh, just, you can look for those those two articles if you want a copy of those for later. So, all right, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Thanks, Ty, so much for sharing. Um, Ty is... Uh, I, you know, it's one of those things, no one wants to go through an abusive situation. And as a pastor, when you hear about a pastor becoming abusive or church situation being abusive, you just cringe because uh, you kind of almost feel like, man, I don't want to be that pastor. And I, 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 you know, Lord, help help us redeem this. Help us to, to do church well and do it right. And uh, so I, I'm very impressed with Ty and his wife, uh, just how their attitudes have been. And it's the right attitude. So... Uh, you know, God bless you for that, saying, you know, I'm not done with church. I'm not part of the nun, but I'm gonna, I'm just going to get plugged in, plugged in in a healthy environment. So that's the right way to go. All right, Genesis 1. Lord God, we just ask that you'd bless this time as we read your word. Open it up to us. Give us understanding. God, change us from the inside out. Lord, we ask that each and every one of us would not leave here the same way we came in. But God, we want to look more like you. Lord, we just pray, convict if we need conviction. Encourage if we need con- encourage. Lord. Holy Spirit, we just ask for you to speak to us now and through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. May God add this blessing the reading of his word. As we get into the creation account tonight, a couple of things I want to say, and I just want to reiterate from last week. One, we're starting with God creating ex nihilo, creating out of nothing. God speaks and he creates. Only God has this power to create to speak and bring forth such and it's an incredible power and we're going to we're going to look at this a little bit more in detail but one thing I want to say is again there is no controversy between science and faith. I want I want to make sure we understand that. There's no controversy between science and faith. There's only controversy between scientists or atheists or whatever is you want to say and faith in God. Those are the controversies. And and scientists who who are atheists or agnostics, they have issues with the creation account. But certainly God does not have any issue with science. And when it is done, when science is finished, which it's not, because the fact is, is we still are discovering things to this day. In fact, one of the articles I'm going to share with you in a little bit, these Nobel Peace Prize winners in chemistry, uh, as they've been studying DNA, they realize that DNA itself shows that evolution is impossible. Incredible that these chemists are recognizing that it's putting the nail in the coffin of evolution is what they're saying. And we'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. So as, as, as science is being understood and as we're learning, these things will only support what we know about God. The other thing about the Genesis account that I want to make sure we understand is the Genesis account shows us that God created, that he created each to its own kind, but it doesn't give us all the details. And it's not meant to be a scientific research paper on creation. It's, it, it's not meant for that at all. In fact, we're going to go from the creation, go from man to next week going to, now here's the generations of man. That's what we're going to get into next week. And we're going to get into the story of man. And we're going to start answering all these issues we have. Why is there evil in the world? And all these sorts of thing, things with the fall of man. But there is no problem there. Now, as far as what we can observe, what we can see, what we can test about our universe, there's a lot we don't know. And I'd encourage you to study some of, this, some of these things on your own. In regards to the creation account, whether we're young earth or old earth or whatever earth you want to get into, I, I think the text... The text lends itself more to a young earth creation, a literal six-day creation period. And I'll talk about that in a minute. However, that is not, we can get along as Christians. We don't have to cause division. If someone's an old earth creationist, great. We believe in Jesus. We believe God created, you know, we're, we're fine there. And uh, we can talk about that. But the real issue comes down to this Genesis 1 is whether it's a poetic Literature, because there's some things in Hebrew that seem a little bit more leaning towards poetry, or it's a narrative. And the reason why we ask that question is if it's a poetic, if it's Hebrew poetry. Poetry often will re-emphasize things, or exaggerate something, or may, or or add to, or contrast something. Po- Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme like like we do in in English. It's very different. However, a narrative account, a narrative account would tell us that this is how it is and how it's meant to be understood and meant to be taken. Now, I believe that Genesis 1 is a narrative account. How you're going to take this, it's up to you. But I do want to say this, that that all the things that we are finding within science continue to support the Genesis 1 account. They don't take away from it. And we'll get into this as we go, but let's look at uh, verse two real fast. So, so we, last week we did in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we talked about that word bara, which means to create, and and um, that that he, he's speaking this into existence. Verse two: The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There is so much mystery. And just awe when I read this verse, verse two, the, the state of the earth and and God's spirit hovering over the waters. It's, it's that word hovering is like a butterfly or like a vibrating. It's it's just like you get this contrast between the creation and the creator. And that contrast that we see here in the scripture is the earth is void. It's it it's formless and void. And and the, the words here, tohu and bohu in Hebrew. Just really talk about it being a desolate place that you cannot survive there. It is impossible for life. It's not life permitting. It's just It still needs work by its creator to get to that point where the creation or the living beings can actually live there. And uh, I'll never forget one time we were driving. We were doing a little mission trip on the Sioux Indian Reservation in South Dakota. And we decided instead of driving back through Nebraska and Wyoming and and back through uh, th- through all these <laughs> areas, we would take a different way back and try to show the kids Mount Rushmore, and uh, which I thought was really cool. You know, before I went to Mount Rushmore, I thought, big deal, somebody carved faces in a rock. I mean, nowadays, that's so politically incorrect to go carve a face in a rock. But when you get there, it's pretty awesome. Anyway, on the way there, we were driving, and I was like, cool, we're going to drive through Badlands National Park. That'll be kind of fun to see another national park. And I don't know if you've been through Badlands, but literally it is bad land. In fact, that's the name the Lakota Indian gave it, the like land bad. It, it, if you translate it literally in Lakota, it's land bad. meaning mean, nothing can grow here. Nothing can live here. This is just terrible wasteland. It's bad land. And driving through it, I was like, yep, I can cross that national park off my list. Done. In, fa- in fact, one of the things that makes the Badlands National Park so great and why it's a national park is because of all the fossil finds, because of the erosion. It's literally a land of death. That's what it is. <laughs> it's just, and so when I think of the earth was formless and void, I think of Badlands National Park. It's just nothing can live there. And if you go there and go hiking, you're probably going to die too. So good luck. No, this, no. Uh, but, uh, no, it's just bad land. But that's really what the idea here is of formless and void. It's the, the, this idea that is not life-permitting yet. Now, some try to read in a gap between Genesis 1 and 2, and actually the Hebrew doesn't allow for that. You get into some big problems in the Hebrew if you try to read in that Genesis 1, God created, and Genesis 2, he's actually recreating. Some people put the fall of Satan there between 1 and 2, and dinosaurs and all these things, and it doesn't work. And by the way, I don't have an answer for our fossil record. I, I, I don't have answers for these things. There's a lot of questions, but at the same time, th- there's questions on both sides of the fence about young Earth and old Earth and all these sorts of things. So, so uh, I'm not going to be able to answer those. that's way outside my scope. But we're going to teach the word faithfully tonight. That's what, that's what our plan is. So the Earth is formless and void, and now comes the contrast, or, or sorry, and it's darkness was over the face of the deep. And the idea of the deep is just this, and we're going to see that the, it talks about the oceans, but it's just this, it's just dark, lifeless, and it, it, it is, it is the, the deep means there's nothing there. It's just this void of lifelessness, this depth. But notice it has this contrast of the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. You have this absence of life and this life-giving power. It's pretty awesome when you start thinking about it. Like God spoke everything into existence. And now he's there saying, okay, we're going to make this into something. We're going to make this good. Don't forget that word God is Elohim. And, and uh, in, in the English we translate, uh, when we get to God creating it, it, says, let us make man in our image. The plural. It's a plural form for God. And so so we have this little hint at the Trinity right here in Genesis 1, that that the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, first thing he says, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Notice God doesn't say that the darkness is good. He says the light is good. God speaks light into existence, and it is good. It is good. See, creation isn't, It's not there yet. It's not good yet until there's the light. And when God speaks the light into existence, now it exists. Darkness is truly just the absence of light. Darkness is there when there is no light, but yet God creates the light. And we can get all sorts of, we can draw this out to spiritual applications. You know, like for instance, in John 1, the light came into the world, but the darkness has not understood it. There's a wonderful picture here of of Genesis 1, and when we compare it to John 1, and I'll just actually go back and read it real fast to for you. In the beginning, anybody remember what was in the beginning? In John 1? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then and then he talks about in John 1, he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. So there's this wonderful little, John almost takes this and says, okay, I'm going to do a a different creation account here in John 1. And and Genesis 1 has God creating, speaking everything into existence, and then let there be light, and there was light. In John 1, we have the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The, The Word was that one who spoke forth everything. Everything was created through him. Nothing was created without him. And his creation didn't recognize him, but to all who did recognize him, they received the light, that life from God. You and I, we, we have that ability to receive light from God. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you've done. That's the wonderful thing about God is before creation, when we ask ourselves, well, what was that, what was God doing before creation? What happened before in the beginning God? And really, we can't answer much. But we do get a little bit of insight from Peter. Peter says before the foundations of the earth, Christ was chosen. That's the only real insight as far as I know. And I I mean, it's possible there's other insight before creation. But the only insight I know to what God was doing prior to him speaking forth creation was who's going to die? Because we're going to create and it's going to be good. But who's going to save them? Because they're going to sin. They're going to rebel. They're going to do evil. And this creation is going to be marvelous. When we're done, when we're done, the creation is perfect. But someone's going to sin. Christ was chosen. Christ was chosen before the foundations of the earth. So that's the only insight I can give you to to, uh, eternity past, if you will. That's all I can say about it. Before time, before space, before creation, before God spoke, Christ was chosen. So this plan of redemption from Genesis 1 to John 1 was already in place, knowing that God was going to create and it was going to end in sin. And you and I might say, well, man, there's a lot of evil in this world. There's a lot of hurt. In fact, wasn't that kind of messed up that God still created, knowing that this evil was going to happen, that, that, that evil was going to run rampant on this earth, that people were going to die, that, that things like Florida were going to happen? Those of you guys who don't know, heard about the attack in Florida. Terrible, awful, evil things that were going to happen. Why did God still create? Let me ask you this. Those of you who are parents, why did you still have a kid? (laughs) If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. When you decided to have a baby, certainly you didn't expect for that baby to be perfect. In fact, I bet you one of the conversations that came up during the pregnancy was, how are we going to discipline little Billy or Maria or whatever it is. You know? I'm sure you had that question. You automatically knew that your child would do it, do sinful things at some point. But you still wanted to have that baby. I'll tell you why. It's a relationship issue. Not that God is lacking, but God desires relationship. And so that's why this plan of salvation was already put forth. That plan for you to know your creator through Jesus Christ. So God called The light day and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, interesting thing, there's evening and the morning, there's morning, but what is there missing so far? The sun. We don't have the sun yet. In fact, we're going to get there, and so some people uh, who advocate for an older creation account or scenario, or just say, "Well, Genesis one is not not there." You know, we can't really trust it because there's morning and there's evening, there's there's day and night, but there's no sun. How is this possible? And there's two two things to think about in this. One 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 perspective is that the Genesis account would be from a man's account on earth watching the creation happen. And that through this creation process, the, the sun can't be seen at this point. The atmosphere isn't clear, and that's why there's no sun yet. The other aspect is, if we go to Revelation, if you remember, there will be a point at which there is no more sun. There's a point at which the heavens roll up like a scroll. And we know that there will be all sorts of changes at the end in the millennial reign and then, of course, in the new heavens and the new earth, changes that drastically are different than this physical universe that we're in right now. So there's also that aspect. So I I don't know exactly. All I have to work with is the text, and the text says that God created... The light and, the, and, out of the, and out of the darkness he spoke the light forth and there was evening and there was morning. And by the way, I think that God can keep track of time just all on his own, just fine. I don't think God is necessarily the, the one who created time is worried about how, how do I keep time. I think he, he's got pretty good control over time. And, and another thought about this, when we say first day, second day, third day, Something to recognize is some people want to take uh, those who promote an old earth view look at these more as epics going on in scripture. That the first day is really a time period of when God is preparing the earth for man, he's just getting ready step by step. So the first day might be a couple billion years, and then the second day might be a billion years or a half billion years or whatever the case is. And that, that's one, one theory. However, again, like I said, I don't think the Hebrew really gives us that option because when Hebrew is used in in Hebrew, when it's used first day, second day, third day, it's always in context of day, 24-hour periods. Not to mention in Exodus, when Moses is, when we're being given the law on on Sinai from God to Moses, and he talks about the Sabbath, the What Exodus tells us in Exodus 20 is for God created the heavens and the earth in six days and on the seventh he rested and called it holy. So you too are going to keep six days you'll work and the seventh you will rest. So we have in context when we look at this, Genesis 1 follows with what's going on in Exodus. So now I do think there's room for how fast was time moving at that time. We know that the speed of light is slowing down. It's not a constant, things like that. So I think that a day could have seemed like a lot longer at the creation. But we can get into that some other day or after when we're having snacks, we can talk about it. So, all right. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters That were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Heaven. That word heaven is perplexing sometimes for us, and the word expanse, what are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about our sky, our atmosphere, what we see when we look up, the blue, right? That's what we're talking about, the expanse between the waters. But that brings us to another problem. Wait, what? There's an expanse between the waters and the waters. But somehow when, when, when people go up into space, they don't run through a rain field, right? That's not happening. Well, a couple of things to think about. One, at the creation, the, the earth was very different from the way it is now under the fall. In fact, I think it's very plausible that there was a, a blanket of water vapor in our, ion, in our ionosphere and it would be invisible to the eye, but it would certainly allow for a giant global flood that rained 40 days and 40, night, 40 nights. You know, there's actually not enough moisture in our atmosphere now to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. It actually could not happen. Of course, I guess if God who speaks forth the universe, he could, if he speaks it, it will happen. But, but if you were to look at our atmosphere now, there's just not enough water for it to rain globally for 40 days and 40 nights but before the flood, there certainly was. And this would back that up, this expanse between the waters, between the waters of the oceans and the waters up in the ionosphere, this mist. Not to mention that we know from the fossil records and, and, and studies that the total biomass in the past was very different. It was nearly 100 times greater than we can account for today. And what I mean by that is we profit from this very much, coal, oil, all these sorts of things come from all these, this, this biomass that has been buried through that great flood that happened. So we're we digging it up and we're using it for, for our oil and our coal as, as an accumulation. So these, uh, these huge caches of plant material, which obviously cause coal now today, are crushed together in seams spanning hundreds of miles under the earth. So this, this uh, and by the way, as they look at records, it doesn't appear that early on during this time when the biomass was so great that there was polar caps uh, as far as ice or deserts. So the earth was a very different place during the creation time. Th- this model would also allow for a kind of a greenhouse effect in our earth. And, of course, in Genesis, one of the questions that I don't know about you, but I ask this when I read Genesis, how did Adam live to be 950 years old? You know, like when we ask that question, we're like or nine sixty, whatever it was. But um, how did Adam live that long? Because uh, today I'm I'm doing well. If I make it to hundred, if I make it past hundred, I'm doing really well. But how was it that Noah and Adam and and Adam's descendants all had this longevity of life? Well, certainly uh, this. This water vapor up in the ionosphere would lend greatly to blocking out harmful UV rays and creating this greenhouse effect, an oxygen-rich environment that would certainly give us much, much much longer life. And um, so God created this expanse between the waters, so he created the sky, the atmosphere. See, we're slowly getting closer and closer to a life-permitting planet. And, and uh, of course, if you were here on time, you saw that video about the fine tuning of the universe. If you weren't here on time, I'll tell you what we watched and you can look it up later. But, um, but the earth is so finely tuned, this universe is so finely tuned for life. Scientists say it seems like there was a design. And of course, Genesis tells us there was a designer. God said um, he called the expanse heaven, and there was everything, there was evening and there was morning the second day. Day three. Let the waters into the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. So we have the creation of the earth, the earth coming forth. Interesting, there are some different words for creating. And I don't know that we can necessarily really become dogmatic about these words. But we have bara, which is creating out of nothing. And then we have a saw, which is like a fashioning in to, to make something. And, uh, and, and so I, I don't know that we can say specifically that there's a difference here. But, but uh, it's interesting that the word here for, for um, God uh, calling out the earth and, and uh, uh, having it appear, we have this idea of a saw, that he's fashioning it, making it come forth. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation plants, yielding seed and fruit trees, bearing fruit in which there is seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation plants, yielding seed according to their own kinds, trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. Third day, we have plants. Now, here's where we get into major issues with evolution. This is where we start to get in conflict with the theory of evolution. And I want to make sure we recognize, I know some of you have been taught in school, it's a fact, but it is a theory. Here's why. First of all, the Bible says God created each to its kind, and notice the specifics of this. Yielding seed, each plant to its kind yielding seed, and each tree to its kind bearing fruit, which bears seed. Not only did God create the trees and the plants, but he created them to be able to multiply and reproduce. Now, when we talk about evolution, and I show you a monkey and show you things that monkeys do, and, and it's freakish. Like, when you think about it, like, I don't know if you guys have spent much time looking at monkeys. Monkeys kind of freak me out. I don't know what it is, but uh, it's, it's kind of weird. You're just like, man, that animal is like so human-like. There, there's so many aspects of it that are so human-like, but the lights aren't totally on inside. It's a, you know it's a, like, a, and then uh, I mean it's just you're just kind of amazed at how close it. And so when as us when scientists write biology notebooks and and they they put this little chain of of the. The, the monkey slowly progressing forward, or you go to the museum and you see the, here's a fossil and you see the, you know, walking statue all the way up to Homo erectus and then finally Homo sapien. You go, wow, I see the, the uniqueness. Or I see how this could be. The problem is, it's a very incomplete picture. One, I mean, science will actually show that you are cl- more closely related to a pig than an ape as far as your your DNA goes. So that's something to think about. I mean, for me, it's probably obvious. But anyway, (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) uh, But on another note, we're not even talking, when we talk about evolution, for some reason they always focus on animals. What about all the plant life? When you think about the plant life, you know, for, year, for a few years there, they were trying to get away from the age of the earth being 4.5 billion years old to 14 or 15 billion years old. And why were they doing that? There's just not enough time in the universe for all the plant, flora, the fauna, and the animal life to develop by an evolutionary process of chance. So they said, well, if we give it more time, maybe that will help us out a little bit problem is they found rocks in Australia and on the moon that just won't let them do that. So they they have their carbon dating set. Well, now that we're getting into molecular biology and researching DNA over the last 10 years, these chemists have realized that there is this symbiotic relationship between DNA and the cell. In fact, DNA is actually, uh, it breaks down rather quickly. And in order for life to to evolution to actually happen, DNA itself won't hold together long enough for this to happen without the cell doing its work. See, your cells perform all sorts of repairs and preventions in your DNA. Without the cell, the DNA just uh, begins to uh, break down and die and disintegrate. So these scientists have realized all these functions that the cell is doing to keep the DNA together so that you can reproduce, so that you can actually live and continue living and continue reproducing. So, anyway, this article's up here. You guys can read it later on. But when we get into, when we start talking about evolution and creation, there's much more evidence for a creator and creating everything to its kind. In fact, we don't have to explain it. We just say, yeah, God created redwoods and they are cool. Look at those redwoods, they're amazing. You know, gravity, gravity is kind of an interesting thing. We know the gravitational constant. We know that if we go to Jupiter, there's gravity. But for some reason, we can't really understand gravity. We know that, that ma- gravity is related to mass and it's part of the gravitational constant. But, but we don't know what makes gravity. That's the problem. In, in fact, most, chemist, uh, most uh, physicists will say that gravity is a little bit of a mystery. We're not really sure how it works, and we're especially not sure how it works on a spinning planet that spins a full rotation in a 24-hour period. Because all of us know that if we take a bucket of water and we start spinning around, what happens? The water pulls to the outside, that's one of the reasons why we love the, the rides in, in parks because we get those G-forces because the faster it goes on a turn, the more we feel pulled out, out away from it. And we're like, man, these engineers did a good job keeping this on the track. You know, we, we did it. I uh, recently uh, got a motorcycle with a sidecar, and I learned really quickly that right turns are, are a little, can be precarious. Right turns, if I go too fast, I can do what's called fly the chair. <laughs> so, uh, I, I read about it a little bit, just in learning, because with a sidecar, you don't lean and stuff with a motorcycle, but uh, I noticed it's a lot harder to turn. When you turn left, you're like, muscling it through, and when I'm done driving this motorcycle, I feel like, man, I got a good workout today. I, mean, I did some weightlifting, but when I turned right really sharp, I was driving down, going to Pep Boys to pick up some wax to keep it waxed, which I have yet to use. And, anyway, I, I, I came down Catella, and if you know the Pep Boys parking lot there on Catella and Glisselle, there's a steep kind of incline, and I'm just having fun, listening to music, driving the motorcycle. We're like, yeah, that's right. Turning fast into the Pet Boys, and I go, whoop! And I'm like, okay, driving, just keeping it balanced uh, and straight. So I came back to the church, and I started practicing flying the chair in the parking lot, so I knew exactly kind of what limits there were. But... But when, we, when, we start, when a mass starts turning or spinning, things start flying. That's what happens. But that's not the case with our planet. In fact, as we have gravity, and th- that spinning creates a, a, a unique electromagnetic force that protects us from solar flares. So we need the spinning. And that's why we have the northern lights. You know, we get that wonderful light show in, near the, pol- in, north, in the north area and especially in the polar regions. Because those are those are all the particles hitting the ionosphere and dissipating because of our magnetic field. So we need the spinning. But how exactly does gravity hold us here? And that's a question that science doesn't understand. We understand it, though, because God says he holds all things together. Well, we are out of time, guys, and I apologize. We're going to pick up with the, uh, the fourth day of creation next week. So let's go ahead and pray. And uh, we're going to... We're gonna kind of I'm gonna introduce communion now and then we'll go into our our communion song and last song. So I apologize for the time, but let's go ahead and pray.